a joy to be here, and I really do mean that. Um, so myself and Maeve have just moved back to Dublin a year ago and uh, have been so blessed by Kieran and Esther's friendship and kindness to us in countless ways that we've been really excited uh, to come to City Church and to worship with everybody here, to worship God um, and to open the Bible together. So as Kieran mentioned, we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 1 this morning. Um, so if you're working from uh, the church Bible, it's on page 634, 634, so Proverbs chapter 1 on page 634. So if you're familiar with the book of Proverbs at all, um, maybe the thing that you will most think of when we turn to this book is that it's full of these little short two or three line sayings that are kind of like top tips uh, for how to live our lives. And I think that's a good thing to associate with the book of Proverbs. About two thirds of the book or more are those kind of short little pithy sayings um, that tell us how to live wisely. So they come uh, from about chapter 10 uh, towards the end or all the way to the end of the book. But it's important for us to realize that the first nine chapters of the book set out a kind of a, a theological standpoint or how, how does do all these little sayings at the end of the book fit into our view of God? How do we understand God and how do we relate to all that he has made? So if we dive straight into the sayings at the end, um, they are nothing more really than just kind of wise words that anybody could say. But if we understand them in the context of the first nine chapters, we realize that they're actually very much to do with God and how we live in his world. So that's just an overview, something we need to realize at the start. Um, you'll see in verse one in a moment that um, the Proverbs are most usually associated with Solomon and he wrote many of them um, and certainly as the wisest guy in the Old Testament it's appropriate I think for us to associate this book of wisdom with Solomon this guy in the Old Testament who is the king of Israel and who is considered profoundly wise so much so that many people would come to visit him to hear what he had to say but as Kieran mentioned we're going to read chapter one this morning and consider it for a short time together. So let's start in chapter one and verse one. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear my son your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. 
throw in your lot among us, we will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call out to me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Well, as Kieran mentioned earlier, if we were to do a straw poll this morning and ask which of you would like to be wise and which of you would like to be foolish, I'm guessing that most of us would go for the first option. I think that is true not just of us here, but of probably everybody in the whole known world. We all want to be wise. As we turn to this first chapter of Proverbs, we see that in the first seven verses, of course, it talks about wisdom. And these seven verses are like a doorway into not just the rest of the chapter, but into the rest of the book. And so as we consider the details of this doorway, we start to see ideas and themes that will be fleshed out throughout the rest of Proverbs. And there's far more than we can consider this morning. So keep your ears open, your eyes open, your ears pricked up for and those themes, those ideas that will be picked up in later weeks as well. In this gateway into the rest of the book, we see a few things. We see in these first seven verses, fear the Lord and you will get wise. As the chapter moves on, we will see if we fear the Lord, you will flee from sin. And towards the end, we will see that fear the Lord and live and you will live. 
And those are the three things we want to consider this morning. Fear the Lord and you will get wise. Fear the Lord and you will flee from sin. Fear the Lord and live. So let's consider the first seven verses. Fear the Lord and you will get wise. We all want to be wise. How do we get wise, I guess, is the big question. Is it something that comes from inside us or is it something that comes from outside us? Is it something that we're born with or is it something that we learn or is it a little bit of both? Well, the reality is in these verses, the primary way in which we get wise is by listening. Look there in verse 5. Let the wise hear and increase in their learning. So it's not that we sit on a mountaintop and we try and conjure up from within ourselves what wisdom is. The wise person will listen. And of course, this listening implies relationship. It implies that we're listening to something or somebody. It's interesting that the wise shows their wisdom by listening, by hearing. So sometimes when we consider a wise person, we think that they are the kind of person who knows it all, that they don't need to hear anything, that they don't need to learn anything. And yet here, it says that the wise person is not so much the one who knows everything, but is the one who recognizes that they need to grow in wisdom. They need to learn. Interestingly, in verse 7, at the end there of verse 7, on the flip side, fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so the fool isn't the person who doesn't know anything. The fool is the person who is unwilling to listen or to learn or to hear instruction. And so the wise listen, which in itself implies that they listen to somebody. It implies relationship. And of course, you've probably guessed that the person that we are to listen to is God himself. The person we are to relate to, the person that we are to hear if we are to get wise. That's spelled out for us in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This uh, relatively famous saying that sets the scene for virtually the rest of the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear the Lord and you will get wise. It's not just the beginning of wisdom in the sense that this is how you start in wisdom and then you move on to do something other than fear the Lord. Fear the Lord is the beginning of, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in the sense that it's the foundation, it's the source, it's the cornerstone of wisdom. And so we need to work hard in our minds because the start of this phrase, the fear of the Lord, is a phrase that we don't initially warm to. When we think of our relationship to God, we often think of it as being loving, which is true, of merciful, which is true. We often think of it as being kind or forgiving, which is true. And those are nice, warm words. But would we describe it as a relationship of fear? What do we even do with that phrase? The temptation is to tone it down and to say, well, the fear of the Lord. It just means we respect God, but we respect our grannies. And so even though there is respect here, there's something much more. When you consider the way people relate to God throughout the Bible, when you see them falling on their faces as though dead before God, you start to realize that there is actually an appropriate level of fear that we should have before God, this all-powerful, all-knowing being who we relate to. 
And yet, as this chapter uh, moves on, we'll see that the fear of the Lord is not similar to the way in which we fear perhaps another person or another human being. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so as we fear God, we start to grow in knowledge. So it's interesting that by fearing God, we get wisdom, we get understanding, we get insight to use the language of verses two and three. To put it another way, the fear of the Lord is the first thought in our minds. And so if this is the first thing, the primary thought, the first thing we think when we get up in the morning, when we go to bed at night, what it causes to happen is that all of our other thoughts fall into their correct place. And so, as it says in verse 2, we get to know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight. Or in verse 3, we receive instruction in wise dealing. And so, if we set this as our primary thought, the fear of the Lord, we are able to think correctly about God and we're able to think correctly about the world around us. It's interesting, though, that what it says in this first, uh, in this opening section of the chapter is not just that wisdom is to do with our thoughts, but it's also to do with our actions. You see in verse 3 that it talks about to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, in justice, and in equity. In other words, in terms of our morals, in terms of how we live our lives. And so when we make the fear of the Lord the primary thing in our lives, not just do we think correctly and make wise decisions, but we actually start to live better lives. We start to live moral lives. And so that's the first thing we want to see. Fear the Lord and you will get wise. Secondly, fear the Lord and you will flee from sin. And we're going to consider especially verses 8 to 19 fear the lord and you will flee from sin so we have this son talking to his or this father talking to his son so this is the first time in the book of proverbs that this happens and you'll see it happening as we progress through the chapter so a father talking to his son and he says to him son there's a couple of guys up to no good they're starting to make trouble in the neighborhood well no he doesn't quite say that but he says something very similar to it verse 11 Come with us, let us lie in wait, these guys say. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. And you're thinking, wow, that is not the most subtle temptation I've ever seen. It's about as subtle as a slap in the face. Come on, let's, let's kill this guy. Who would fall for that? Who would say, yes, that sounds like a good idea. I'll kill this innocent person without any reason whatsoever. It's interesting, as the father paints this picture for his son, that the reality is that there's something that starts to become obvious, become evident, as we see in verse 13. What is the motive for this killing, for this murder? We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. And so you start to realize there's something else going on here. There's something more than mere murder for the sake of murder. There's murder for the sake of money. And the father knows that for the son, if he sets his focus on the money, if he starts to want this money more than anything else, what will happen is the desire for this money will start to eclipse in his heart or in his thoughts the seriousness of the sin. And so what starts out as a very obvious temptation that it should be easy to say no to actually becomes quite subtle because the son might be thinking about the money 
And then he starts to think, well, nobody would miss this guy if I murdered him. And so you see the end starts to justify the means. And so it becomes a little bit more subtle, a little less obvious. And what's going on, or what's in danger of going on, is that the son has set his heart on something. He really wants something. And so he will do anything to get it. And it's serious stuff. And we do this all the time. We really want to see that latest movie. And so we're not willing to spend 35 euro or whatever it is to go to the cinema. So we download it for free and we think, well, Hollywood is rich. They don't need my money. And so we're stealing without even realizing it. Or for me, it's food. And so even though I know sugary food is bad, fatty food is bad, even though I've already eaten half the packet of biscuits, even though I know that heart disease runs in my family, every logical reason to not eat more, and yet the pleasure of eating that extra donut starts to mean that the, the seriousness of the sin becomes eclipsed, and I go ahead and I do it. That's what happens. We set our hearts on something. We want something. And it's really serious stuff. It's interesting. This father speaking to his son is actually quite artistic in how he portrays the picture because he says in verse 11, look, these guys are saying, let us lie in wait for blood. What ends up happening in verse 18 is that these men lie in wait for their own blood. In verse 11, let us ambush the innocent. But by the end, in verse 18, they set an ambush for their own lives. And so what opens up as this really obvious temptation ends up that these guys are so deceived that they are actually not the ones doing the killing, but they are killing themselves. And that is what happens to us when we set our hearts on something other than God. It's interesting, the turn of phrase in verse 19, these guys think they have something, but in reality, the thing that they think they have has taken away their own lives. This path leads to death. So how do we escape from this? Well, fear the Lord and you will flee from sin. In other words, set your heart so much on God, want God, desire God so much more than the money, than the biscuit, which sounds ridiculous, than whatever it is in your life that you want. If we fear the Lord, you will run a million miles from temptations like this. You will not even entertain the idea. You would prefer to be poor and know God rather than be wealthy and have nothing to have lost your own life or to have lost your own soul. So fear the Lord and you will get wise. Fear the Lord and you will flee from sin. Lastly, fear the Lord and live. So this is verses 20 to 33. And the last section of the chapter, verses 20 to 33. And we have another picture here. And it's a picture, again, that's repeated throughout the book of Proverbs. So wisdom is personified as this woman. So we have woman wisdom, and she's uh, at the top of the streets. She's at the city gates. She's in the busy marketplaces, and she's crying out. She's saying something. And the idea is that it's really obvious. Everybody can hear, and everybody should hear. She's in the public places. And she's saying these things in verse 22. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? 
How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? And the question is, how can anybody miss this? I'm saying this in the public places as loud as I can for everybody to hear, and yet nobody's hearing. The reality is that we don't hear. The reality is that we don't listen to wisdom. If you scan through these verses from 20 to 33, you'll see two verses where it says, um, it, it speaks about the people who do listen. So verse 23, for example, if you turn up my reproof, I will make my no words known to you. And again in verse 33. But every other verse deals with the fact that nobody is willing to listen. Look there in verse 24. I have called and you have refused to listen. I have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. And so we're stuck with the reality that even though this is obvious, even though this is evident for everybody to hear, that we simply do not listen. And so as we consider what we have thought about in the previous sections, fear the Lord and you will get wise, fear the Lord and you will flee from sin, we start to realize that actually we are people who do not act wisely all the time and therefore we must not fear the Lord as we should. We are people who do not flee from sin all the time if we're being honest with ourselves, and therefore we must not fear the Lord as we should. And if we bring that reality into this third point, that we do not fear the Lord, we have to realize that this leads us to death. If we fear the Lord, we will live if we do not fear the Lord, it leads us to death. We see that clearly in verse 29. We do not choose the fear of the Lord. And what is the result? Verse 32, the simple are killed by their turning away. Can you think of a more serious repercussion? The complacency of fools destroys them. And so as we sit here listening to these wonderful ideas, fear the Lord and you will flee from sin and you will get wise and you will live, we have to acknowledge that we simply don't fear the Lord as we should. So is there any hope for us? A bit later on in the Old Testament, there comes a prophet whose name is Isaiah. And it's interesting because Isaiah starts to talk about a particular person and the language, the words that Isaiah uses about this person is very similar to the words that the writer of Proverbs uses. So when Isaiah is talking about this man, he says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. We see in verse 23 of Proverbs, it says, Behold, I will pour out my Spirit to you or on you. When Isaiah talks about this particular man, he says that the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of knowledge, of understanding will rest on this particular person and our ears prick up because Proverbs is all about wisdom and knowledge and understanding and here's the bit I like the most when Isaiah talks about this particular person he says that he will delight in the fear of the Lord and we're like wow the thing that I am not doing this guy is doing and we ask who is this person 
Well, it turns out that it's Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus who comes to this earth in the New Testament as we can read about. And Jesus lives his life, and the way in which people talk about Jesus is the way in which Proverbs writes. So they say he is incredibly wise, even from a young age. He is incredibly good, so he flees from sin. He knew no sin. And yet, as Jesus' life progresses, it becomes increasingly clear that even though he delights in the fear of the Lord, even though he is described, as we heard earlier, as the wisdom of God, rather than living as Proverbs says he should, he actually dies. And so it raises a question for us. Why does Jesus die? If he delights in the fear of the Lord, why does he not live? Well, the answer comes to us as we consider our path in life and Jesus' path in life. We are on a road. We have chosen it for ourselves that leads to death. And Jesus in his life is on a road that leads to life. And what happens is that we meet at a crossroads and Jesus offers us that he would take our place, that he would walk the path that we should walk, that he would essentially die the death that we should die, and that he would give us the life that he has gained by living in the delight of the fear of the Lord. And so this morning as we consider what it is to fear the Lord, we need to realize that there is only one who has truly delighted in fearing the Lord, that his name is Jesus and that he offers us the life that he has gained as a result, that he can take the death that we deserve upon himself as a result, that he will take our foolishness, that he will take when those times when we run towards sin rather than fleeing from it, that he will take our death and give us life so if we believe that, if we trust that, if we fear the Lord in this particular situation, we start to realize that that changes everything. It changes how we should live. And now, even though we do it imperfectly, we desire to fear the Lord in the strength that Jesus gives us. We now have the ability to do this. We now have the ability to some extent to be able to fear the Lord, to be able to run from sin, to be able to um, grow in wisdom and understanding as we consider the world around us. But it must begin there. It must begin with fear of the Lord. The reality is that it's not just an arbitrary thing. What we read in Proverbs chapter 1 is not just a list of stuff for us to do, but this is something very close to God's heart. And so as Jesus lives this perfect life, in our place and offers it to us. The reality is that as we go on then from there, we continue to desire to delight in the fear of the Lord also, that we are to go on as Christians, as a church in this place, delighting in the fear of the Lord. That's the first chapter of Proverbs 1, and we're going to move on and consider the second chapter uh, next week. But let us pray. Father, we love what we read here that, um, Lord, you offer us to 
be wise people. We certainly don't want to be foolish. You offer us to be people who run from sin and people who, as a result, live. And yet we acknowledge that we simply don't do these things. And it highlights the fact that we don't fear you, that we don't listen to wisdom, that instead we listen to ourselves. We often listen to men rather than to you. Lord, we praise you that there is one who has delighted in the fear of the Lord, that our Lord Jesus has lived the life that we do not live, have not lived, and he offers it to us freely. We pray that you'd help us once again to believe that, to trust that this morning, and as a result, Lord, to grow in our fear of you. Lord, that we would love you, that we would honor you in the way in which we live, that we would flee from sin, that we would grow in wisdom. And Lord, we praise you that because of what Christ has done, we have this great promise of life. Father, you are truly good to us and we praise you for it.